So you can find out more about the PTO program uh, at our Connect Pavilion, which will be to your left as you leave this auditorium. Now, before we get into the message for today, uh, I need to speak uh, to the folk who call City Church your church. And so if, like, if you're new to church and you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and all this stuff, uh, first of all, I want you to know you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. This is the right church community for you because we are a safe community of grace where you can explore our faith in Jesus Christ. But before we, you know, we get into the message for the day, I, I, need, I have some family business and so I need to talk to the people who call uh, City Church your church. Now, I've, I've talked to you over the past few weeks about what it takes for us to provide all of the programs and services and ministries that we provide, just like PTO uh, here at City Church. It takes about uh, $75,000 a week to provide all of these programs and ministries. And so for us to be able to fund uh, all of the programs that we've been called to provide, not just for our church, but for our community, I need everybody who calls City Church uh, doing their part. If you call City Church your church, I need you to do your part. And so I'm inviting you to join me on a journey, a generosity journey. I'm going to lead you to become the generous person you've always wanted to be. And I have a graphic to sort of picture what I'm talking about, this, what this journey is all about. So first, I want to speak to those of you who have never given anything to the City Church movement. I'm asking you to become a new giver. I'm asking you to give for the first time to the City Church Movement. And so you can give at giving kiosks located in both lobbies, at giving stations, uh, if you want to use cash or checks, or you can go online and give there. Now, if you would say, you know, Pastor, I've given something before, but you don't really give consistently, then I'm asking you to take a step of faith and become a consistent giver. And by that, I'm wanting you to pray with your family and determine what would a step of faith be for you to give consistently, and then each time you get paid, give that amount. Now, if you're a consistent giver, then I'm asking you to take the step of faith of becoming a significant percentage giver. And I'm calling you or asking you, inviting you to give 10% of what you make. Now, I know that may sound like a shocking amount to some of you that may be new to the church thing and the giving thing. But what you'll find is the principle of giving 10% of what you make to the movement of God throughout history goes all the way back to Genesis, all the way through to Jesus. There's something significant about that, not only in your own life, but in what you can do uh, for our community. And so I'm asking you to become a percentage giver. And if you're already a percentage giver, then I'm asking you to become a legacy giver. And this is what I mean by that. I'm asking you to pay attention to God promptings when he prompts you to give something to either a need we have at the church or a need with one of our social action partners. For each of us, this will take a step of faith and it will require a sacrifice. And I do understand that and I do recognize that. I know it's a sacrifice for me and my family, but I do believe in the God of the blessing. I believe he will bless you as you take a step of faith. And when you take this step of faith, it positions your life and your finances in the flow of God's blessing. And that is where you want to be. Now, this week we're continuing uh, our series where we're looking at uh, living purposefully in our marriage and our dating relationships. And as, as I suggested to you, this is complicated. And we acknowledge that here at City Church. It is complicated. 
And I felt like that as a part of this series, it, it was important for us to get a female's perspective on this whole relationship thing. And so I've asked one of our female pastors to speak to us today. And what's cool about her is she's also a part of the next generation because one of the things we believe in at City Church is raising up the next generation of leaders for our church. And so would you join me in welcoming our Connect Pastor, Sherry Richard, as she speaks to us today. Sherry. Well, hey, y'all. Well, in this series, uh, we're getting real about what it takes to build good relationships. Because as we all know, good relationships don't just happen. Good relationships take intentionality and purpose, but it's complicated, right? And that's what this series is all about. And today, I wanna help you face the complications in your relationships. And I think that I have a tool that can help you. But before I explain this tool, I need to tell you a story. So my husband, Wes, and I, we've been married for almost eight years now. Uh, we have two young kids. Our son, Finley, is three years old, and our daughter, Parker, is two, year old, two years old, so we're tired all the time. And um, early in our marriage, though, Wes and I, we realized that we had a serious problem. And um, let me tell you what happens. So basically, it went down the same way every single evening. We would go, we would get into bed, and we would realize that the overhead light was still on. You know what I'm talking about. And so the overhead light is still on, and so we would start to argue about who had gotten into bed second. The logic being, if you got into bed second, then it was your job to go turn the light off, right? Like, makes sense. So we would argue about who had gotten into bed second for several minutes, and if it had been me, I would get up and go turn the light off because I'm a decent human being. <laughs> but if it had been Wes, sometimes he would get up and turn the lights off, and sometimes he would just shrug his shoulders and say something dumb like, I can sleep with the lights on, <laughs> knowing that I wouldn't be able to stand it, and that eventually I would get up and I would turn the lights off. And the more often that I would get up to turn the lights off, the more often he would refuse. And he thought it was hilarious and I thought that he was a big, dumb dummy. But it started out as such a silly thing, but over time, I started to actually get resentful and started getting mad every evening before the inevitable scenario would even happen. And I knew how silly it was to get mad about something, you know, like the overhead light. And so, like all, like, you know, good adults do, I just stuffed all my feelings down instead of saying anything. But like many of us know, when we stuff our feelings down, eventually they're going to rear their ugly head. And so after about three years of this, I had had enough. And so on one fateful evening, Wes gets into bed second, and he leaves the light on. And so I very calmly and sweetly say, Wesley, go turn the light off. And he just gets this grin across his face and I lose my ever-loving mind. Like, Wes, you always do this. You get into bed second, you need to turn the light off. And he just starts laughing. He thinks this is so funny. I'm like, seriously, you need to turn the light off. And he goes, why do you get so mad? And I go, because you need to turn the light off. 
And he goes, why does it bother you so much? And I'm like, why, like, why does this bother you so much that I win? And I go, because when you win, I lose. And something clicked in my mind. It sounded like such a simple statement. When you win, I lose. That's how competition works, right? One person wins and one person loses. That's how it works. But the problem was our daily ritual was making me the loser over and over and over again. And it was starting to wear on me. Maybe you've experienced something like this. Maybe your day-to-day conflict with your spouse or with someone else important in your life leaves you feeling like a loser. It can feel like you're in this constant loop of losing and, and you can't understand why. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're the one who typically wins the fight or has the upper hand, but you can't understand why everyone seems so bent about you winning. In my marriage, this moment became a turning point because I had to sit there and really consider, am I just a poor loser or is something else going on? Our nightly ritual was making me feel like a loser over and over again. When you win, I lose. I mean, that's how competition works, right? One person wins and one person loses. But I was losing at a game I hadn't agreed to play. Why are we competing? We're married. Aren't we supposed to be on the same team? I tell you guys this story in particular for two different reasons. First of all, because this is legitimately the moment that this same team concept came to my husband and I. And second of all, because I'm the good guy in the story, which is what really matters to me. I could tell plenty of other stories where I'm not, but that's not important right now. All right. This same team concept has become a critical cornerstone in Wes and my marriage playbook. And once we were able to give this dysfunction a name, we started to realize that 99% of the conflict in our marriage happened when we weren't on the same team. Sometimes in silly things like overhead lights, all the way to our most serious conflicts. In the years and months since this discovery in my own marriage, I've had countless interactions with people who have confirmed my theory in all different kinds of relationships. I've talked to countless uh, married couples who just couldn't get on the same team and their marriage was suffering because of it. I've heard stories, I can think of countless stories of folks trying to navigate the very, very difficult world of co-parenting who desperately needed to get onto the same team for the sake of their kids. I've seen dating relationships that maybe could have gone somewhere that ended because they couldn't get on the same team. Folks with tons of animosity towards their coworkers and their boss because they couldn't get in on the same team and they desperately needed to for the sake of their work and their sanity. Lifelong friendships that were being wrecked over petty conflict that could have been come to resolution with some simple perspective and same team thinking. It was absolutely shocking to me that once this dysfunction had a name in my mind, how often it came up in the lives of people around me. 
Maybe you're sitting there with your spouse right now thinking, we're not on the same team. Or maybe you have a coworker or a friend or a family member in, in mind and you're going, man, we definitely aren't on the same team. Well, that is what we're gonna break down today. And I want us to apply, I want us to apply this same team idea to all of our relationships. But I'm gonna be really transparent. I'm gonna tell you that this concept is most important to me personally when it comes to my marriage. All right, Michael Jordan said that talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. I don't know about you, but I want a championship level marriage. More than I wanna be right, more than I want to win on my own, more than I want my way. I don't want to win without my teammate because if he loses, I lose, and our marriage loses, and our kids lose, and our family around us lose. We have to learn to win together, but it's hard. It's complicated. I'm gonna talk a lot about marriage, but even if you're not married, stick with me because if you want championship level relationships, period, you've gotta learn to be on the same team. So how do we get on the same team? To answer that question, I want us to go to where it all started. We are, I'm gonna go to Genesis, which is all the way in the beginning of our Bible, and God is creating everything, pretty much. Not pretty much, everything, period. God's creating everything, and you start to see this pattern come out. So God creates, you know, he creates light, and he goes, oh, that's good. All right, he creates land, and he creates the sea. He goes, that's good, that's good. Animals, plants, fish, birds, good, 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 good. All right, he creates a man. He goes, that's good. And then all of a sudden, we see the pattern break. When God looks at the man and he sees that he's alone, and he goes, oh, that's not good. We see this in Genesis 2. He says, then the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It doesn't matter what your relationship status is. It isn't good for you to be alone. You need other people. Relationships matter. And so God looked at the man, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. All right, so pause really quick, because there's something really, really important that we need to see here. Okay, because this word helper right here is the Hebrew word etzer. Okay, it is not a super fancy word. When you translate it, it literally just means help or helper. Like you tripped and fell, I helped you up. Okay, real simple. But what we need to pay attention to is how else it's used in scripture. Because now I wanna get into something simple. Like I said, someone tripped, they got helped up. But the word is most commonly used to describe God, to describe when God helps someone or a group of people. God is a helper. And so what we need to see from this is that this isn't a subservient word, all right? This isn't an equipment manager level word. This word helper is a teammate level word. God wants you to have a teammate. But what kind of teammate? So let's keep looking. 
All right, so it says that God brings all of the animals to Adam and he has him name all of the animals. But scripture says, but still there wasn't a helper that was just right for him. All right, not even the golden retriever did the job, guys. I mean, I know we love our fur babies, but they cannot fill that gap that people are supposed to fill in our lives. And so he brings all the animals. None of them were the right helper for him. And so then God makes a woman using a part of Adam and he takes her to Adam. And Adam says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Isn't this what we feel? What it feels like when we find our person? At last, at last, finally I found someone who's the same kind of weird as me, all right? Or at bare minimum, who will tolerate my kind of weird. I mean, that's the best, at last. These words remind me of the immeasurable joy and relief and contentment I felt when I found my husband, Wes, at last. Now remember last week we talked about that there's no such thing as the right person. We have to become the right person. It wasn't that Wes was perfect. It was that he wanted to be my teammate and I wanted to be his. He wanted to be the right person for me and I wanted to be the right person for him. We wanted to be helpers in each other's dreams. We wanted to go on this journey together. We wanted to be on the same team. Married folks, do you remember what that felt like when you found your person? At last, have you lost that? This next part of scripture, I think, is the most important. It says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. One. One team. One If that isn't clear enough, the Hebrew here means one flesh. All right, when we think about a team, typically we think about multiple people working toward a shared goal. But it's still made up of individual players who can have big egos, who can opt out, who can leave. Right, we see this in our sports world all the time. Don't even get me started on Kawhi. But when we see these words, one flesh, it brings a whole new layer to the same team thing. If you're married, your team is made up of two people who are one flesh, bonded both spiritually and physically. If you're one flesh, you definitely need to be playing on the same team. If you're married, this story from Genesis is yours. God looked at you and he said, it isn't good for you to be alone. I'm gonna bring you a helper, okay? They They show up, you go at last, and now you're meant to be one, same team. If you're not married yet, but you want to be, let this be the story in front of you. God's looking at you saying, you know, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to bring you a helper. You're gonna see them, or get to know them first, don't just, you know. You're gonna see them, and you're gonna go at last, and then you're meant to be one, same team. All right, if you don't wanna get married, right on, y'all. Like, Jesus didn't get married, Paul didn't get married. You're in great company, but it's still not good for you to be alone, You need to find some teammates. 
So you wanna be on the same team. You want meaningful relationships. You're on board, you're going to share it. Yes, I wanna be on the same team, what do I do? First and foremost, you have to decide that you're on the same team and you have to say it out loud. All right, married folks, this is gonna sound silly, but you may need to look at your spouse in the face and say same team, like a lot. Like how about right now? If you're here with your spouse, look at them, say same team. I can wait, y'all, same team, same team. All right, now give them a high five. There you go, no butt smacks till like later, all right? So, you need to tell your spouse that you're on the same team. If you've lost that yes, at last feeling, I'd be willing, you to, willing to bet you some serious cash that committing to being on the same team with your spouse and saying it out loud can get you back on the path to at last that will last. Being on the same team and saying you're on the same team is a constant statement that you're one and that regardless of circumstances, your priority is functioning as one. This works in all of our relationships. If you wanna be on the same team, say it out loud as often as necessary. When you're fighting with your boyfriend or girlfriend, go, whoa, dude, same team, all right? When people at work are being divisive, go, come on, guys, let's be on the same team. When you're on the phone with your sister for 35 minutes trying to decide the color of the balloons for your mom's birthday, same team. Let people know that you wanna be on their team. And so, once you've decided that you wanna be on the same team, there are three things that I want you to challenge you to do. And the first is speak out your goals. A team will never be successful if they aren't playing toward the same goal. If you've ever played team sports, you know how many times you've been told to communicate on the floor with your teammates because your team can't work together if they're not on the same page. Your team can't work together if you're not running the same play. We can't just assume that our spouse or our coworkers or our friends or our families are just gonna intuitively understand what we're thinking or the motivation behind our behaviors. When you want something, and especially when you need something, Say it out loud so that you can be on the same team. Speak out your goals. Our social action director, uh, Damaris Fike, and I were talking about this topic the other day. She goes, oh man, I'm really bad about that. And I go, oh really, how? She goes, when I'm at home and I want my husband to help me clean, I don't ask him to help me, I just clean louder. <laughs> Y'all, that's the most relatable thing that's gonna get said today. Don't just clean louder, speak your goals out loud so that your teammate and you can be on the same team. All right, this applies to both daily things like cleaning louder, but it also applies to the big things and those tough conversations that we need to have. You know, maybe you need to look at your spouse and say something like, I think we need better boundaries with your mom. I really think we might need to go see a counselor. I think we need to change the way we talk to each other. I don't always wanna be the bad guy with the kids. I'd like to share some of that load with you. You have to say it, and you have to say it out loud, or what's gonna happen is it's just going to turn into resentment. You have to say, you speak your goals out so that you and your teammate can be on the same team. All right guys, in dating, this is especially important because dating is like a trial run 
Okay, you have to speak your goals out so that you can see if you guys can be on each other's teams. All right, as individuals, what this means is it means you need to know who you are and you need to know what your goals are. And then on top of that, you need to know which goals you're flexible on and which ones are non-negotiable. And if the person you're dating can't share in your goals, if they can't get excited about the things that are important to you and you can't share in theirs, you have a problem. If you and the person that you're dating can't be on the same team, you need to trade them. I know this is harsh, but I can't, I know you guys have seen this in your lives too. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a dating couple who have thought, if we could just get married, then that will fix things. If we just move in together, then maybe that will fix things. Because if you can't be on the same team right now, what makes you think that a ring is going to fix that? You need a teammate. Find somebody who you can be on the same team as. All right, so decide you're on the same team. Speak your goals out. And second, stop competing with each other. If you're on the same team, stop competing with one another. All right, especially if you're married, you're one flesh. Now, I'm not talking about agreed upon competition, guys, like play games, make bets, have fun. I love playing games with my husband, Wes, with our coworkers and our friends. I love friendly competition, a little bit too much. But competition should never extend beyond that. Be on the same team. And what this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you're never gonna fight or have disagreements. Guys, good teams work because of the diversity on the team. And when there's diversity on the team, it means there's gonna be misalignments of, of expectations and, and different things like that. There's going to be miscommunications because it's complicated. But the trick is to use your disagreements to get yourself on the same team and never, hear this, never using disagreements to put someone in their place. There's no room for that on a good team. Never to belittle or to dominate. You have to fight fair. The purpose of conflict is to get you on the same team, not to wedge you apart. Remember what Brent taught us last week. He said, stay away from, uh, in his like, kind of like rules of play, he said, stay away from accusatory, you always or you never statements. Instead, use I statements. When you say things like that, you make me feel like this, or I feel, use statements like that. Not those you always or you never. They don't get us anywhere. Fight fair. In a relationship, when you insist on winning by yourself, you are making your teammate a loser. Guys, when you insist on winning by yourself, you make your teammate a loser. And if your teammate loses, so do you, and so does your relationship, and so do the, the circles of people around you. You have to stop competing. All right, decide you're on the same team. Speak your goals out. Stop competing. And last, but certainly not least, Get rid of the third wheel. If you're married, stop allowing others to have more weight in your life than your teammate. All right, if you're more aligned with your family or your friends or your adult children than your spouse, you're not on the same team. 
If you're seeking emotional or physical intimacy with someone that's not your teammate, you cannot be on the same team. The verse that we talked, walked through a few minutes ago from Genesis about being one flesh, all right, about being on one, on the same team. It's so foundational to marriage in scripture that it's actually quoted several other times. All right, we talked about one of them last week. It's in the book of Matthew. It's in Matthew 19, and Jesus says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He's directly quoting what we read, uh, read in Genesis earlier. All right, but then he adds something. He says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. All right, basically Jesus says no take backs. If you want to have an awesome marriage, you've gotta be on the same team. That means we can't let anyone drive a wedge in what God has joined together. I'm not saying to not seek out wise counsel. What I'm saying is that at the end of the day, you and your teammate need to figure out how to win together. Don't let anyone get in the way of that. If someone's trying to get in between that, you need to seriously question how wise their counsel really is. If you're single and dating, all right, wise advice here, you're the one who's potentially gonna marry this person. Not your mom, not your roommate, not your best friend, okay? You, you gotta figure it out and figure out if you guys can be on the same team. If you're applying the same team idea to your job or your friendships, all right, if you wanna have a good team between you and someone else, period, you can't talk smack, Right? You can't say one thing in the meeting and then go have the meeting after the meeting undermining someone. It doesn't work. You can't be on the same team if this is going on. In any relationship, if you wanna be a team, you have to ditch the negative third wheels. Decide you're on the same team. Speak your goals out. Stop competing and get rid of the third wheel. Guys, there are infinite numbers of ways to apply the same team idea. I hope you'll add to them, because these are just three. So at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves this. Why does it matter? This year at City Church, we're focused on purpose. And purpose doesn't stop with us as individuals. Purpose is played out in our relationships. And if you're married, your marriage is where your purpose should be played out more than anywhere else. Wes and I have come a long way in our marriage. Real talk, we still fight about the lights. But more than anything else, we desire to be on the same team. And that changes everything. It's hard, it's complicated. And it doesn't change overnight, all right? The same way that championship teams take work, so do good relationships. For Wes and I, we had to acknowledge that we are on the same team every day, all right? Sometimes several times a day. But after a while, it became kind of weekly. And then only every once in a while. And now almost five years later, it's become our everyday posture. Wanting to be on the same team, 
wanting to be one, it's changed everything. We have to choose each other over wanting to be right. We have to choose our marriage over our problems. We have to learn to win together. Talent wins games. Teamwork wins championships. I want a championship level marriage and I want that for you too. Will you guys pray with me? God, I thank you that you've designed us in such a way that we need others, God, because our relationships are, are the most fulfilling, some of the most fulfilling things in our lives, God. Right now, for every person in this room, God, I pray that you would show them who, wh what this looks like for them in their life, God. I pray that you would just soften our hearts and just open our hearts up to some of the same team thinking, God, so that our marriages, God, can reflect you in the team that you want us to be. So our dating relationships, God, can look like this future that you want for us, God. That our relationships across the board, God, could be awesome and just be a reflection of you in everything that we do. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.